Hello, and welcome to this FRDH, First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. We all want to break out and get away from the pandemic, so in this podcast, we're talking about the business that allows us to do so. For the travel industry, it's frightening as hell. No industry in this pandemic has been hit and destroyed as quickly as the travel industry. Elizabeth Becker is a former foreign correspondent for the Washington Post and New York Times and is the author of Overbooked, The Exploding Business of Travel. Everything about this pandemic is anathema to the idea of globalized 21st century travel. It was premised on open borders for the first time possibly in history. All the borders of the world were open to leisure travel. It depends on people trusting that wherever they go, they'll be able to find whatever they want. That if they were in a country where they worried about the water, there would be the two-star hotel with the, with the nice chilled bottle of water. That they could find avocado toast in Nigeria, if that's what they felt like for breakfast. It was premised on communications that would allow us to set up our um, travel itineraries and on technology that would carry us wherever we wanted to go. If you're in London, like you, Michael, and you decided you wanted to spend um, a long weekend in the Caribbean in the middle of a crummy February, you could fly. And probably you could afford it, sort of, if you didn't mind credit card debt. That is out the window. And the whole future of travel looks as if it's in doubt. The future of travel being in doubt is not just about whether we get away this summer. Travel, Becker points out, is a critical component of the global economy. Oh my gosh, $8 trillion to the global GDP. One of 10 people are employed by the tourism sector. For developing countries, it's second only to extraction of natural resources as the engine for economic development. Any industry that big has a complicated impact on other aspects of the economy, society, and politics beyond measurable data. At one point I called it the octopus because it requires trust within all categories in terms of uh, social, political trust. That you, no matter who was the head of Hungary, those borders are going to be open. No matter what was going on in India, they would be welcoming you and that you could trust that it would be okay. It also requires trust on the receiving end, what in the industry they call the destinations, that the destinations would say, okay, we believe you're going to be healthy and we welcome you. We saw that it's not the case right now. It's It's the plague and we're putting up borders everywhere, sensible or not. Um, And we all have that image of fun-filled cruise ships transformed into deadly plague ships that the Carib- no port in the Caribbean would take. And some are still floating at sea with um, passengers and crew, well, largely crew members who, who, can't, who won't be accepted by countries. So we have that. Plus, you have the question of health, safety, and standards. When will you, Michael, want to board a plane that will take you back here in the United States, or maybe a plane that will take you to Hong Kong, 
when will you trust that your health will not be compromised? Well, actually, Elizabeth, I was willing to get on a plane in July. My family and I had arranged to fly to Naples. We love Italy. And then head two hours south to the Cilento coast. The arrangements were made late last year. Anyway, the airline canceled my flight this week. But to return to the subject of trust, trust is abstract. But to get travel started again, trust must be brought down to a mundane political level and made the subject of negotiations between governments. And that ain't so easy. It's chaos out there. Greece is now, because they were so successful um, keeping down COVID-19 and keeping down the number of infections and deaths, they're now welcoming tourists. So they said to the, to the UK government, let's have what we'll call an air bridge and your people can come and we won't put them under a stern quarantine and ours can go to yours. Well, Britain is not in the same situation at all. And, and UK said, uh-uh, we're, we're not there. We can't make that kind of agreement. These two national entities trying to figure out whether there's, there's a, an accommodation to be made. There wasn't. But we can look across to the other side of the planet and see New Zealand and Australia. Now, they have two extremely different political leaders. Scott Morrison in Australia famously didn't show up for the wildfires and is a big proponent of fossil fuels. Um, Jacinda Ardern is um, a center-left politician who is big into the environment and has a very different agenda. But both of them decided that to immediately impose lockdowns to follow the science, and they both were very successful following the science and keeping flattening the curve and getting keeping it down. And now they have created, again, they, everybody's looking for a different word, they're creating a travel bubble, not an air bridge, but a travel bubble, so that they will accept each other's citizens as leisure tourists and business, business travelers. It will help New Zealand, especially because they depend on tourism, but it also, you know, obviously helps Australia because everybody's dying to get out. So travel bubble, air bridge, UK is no longer in the EU, but within the Schengen region, they're trying to figure out which borders can be open and have this kind of, we trust your health system. And the, the next issue is certification. How do you certify someone is COVID-19 free? Which health ministries will you respect in giving out those kinds of certificates? That's a general issue that is even being addressed at the WHO. And here in the United States, it's dog's breakfast. Um, we have no national standards. Um, President Trump refuses to take any responsibility for this. He's, he's put it onto the shoulders of our states that don't have the resources, and he's been um, stingy and blocking Congress. Uh, I'm not being partisan in this. The, the, even the travel industry, which tries to be um, as, as nonpartisan as possible, is um, just bleeding from all of this. So the, the trick will be, what are, what are the health standards? Are, is the information transparent enough so that you know wherever you want to visit has met the health requirements that you consider important? And then when you get there, are you going to be knowledgeable enough to know where you can avoid hot spots, where you can trust sanitation, 
and how to avoid uh, people, which is, you know, the hard part of this philosophically, because travel is all about connections, all about connections. You want to travel because you want to see a new way of life. You want to remind yourself of what you love about, for you, Southern Italy. The, just the taste, the feel, the connection. And that's, uh, that's what I think is very painful. We've seen all these stories about how people um, are lonely in their um, isolation. Well, and part of that misconnection is the tantalizing vacation or trip where you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, see the world with a different point of view. And that's, that's very sad. Very, very sad. But even if governments can agree on how to certify citizens to travel from one country to another, there's an even bigger problem. The global economy is teetering on the edge of a depression. Travel, tourism represents 10% of global GDP. More people work in the industry than manufacturing in both the U.S. and the U.K. The situation is much worse than after the crash in 2008. Before in 2008... Yes, there's economic distress, but nothing compared to now. And around the world, the recovery of this industry in particular will depend on the recovery of the entire economy because people have to have extra money in their pockets. This is not, you know, the absolute requirement of life. So the restaurants, the cafes, the hotels, the entertainment, the travel agents, all the things that depend on tourists will depend on the recovery of the global economy. And that's another reason why this industry is stuck so bad. But in a world whose economy has evolved in such a way that travel is one of its most important components, how does it revive when so many who work directly in the industry and in associated ones are out of work? A few weeks ago, I took a walk through London's West End, the theater district. Literally nothing was open. Dozens of theaters, closed, except for a bagel place on the corner of Wardour and Old Compton Streets doing takeaway, no restaurants or food places open. Theater pumps close to a billion dollars into the London economy. Very few of the theaters will reopen when lockdown ends. Actors, stagehands, front of house, hundreds if not thousands of jobs won't come back. Restaurants that rely on the 30 million or so tourists who pass through my city annually, we've replaced Paris as the most visited city in the world, will not be coming back overnight or within a year. Because it's hard to imagine 30 million people having enough spare time and money in their pockets to visit this rather pricey town anytime soon, and yet, without them, the economy cannot revive. But this leads to a deeper question. Is tourism, as it has evolved, something we want to come back? There was a, a revolt against over-tourism before the pandemic. And you already had destinations saying stop. And even if the political leaders were dismissing the locals for saying stop, now um, as things come back, I think there might it might be easier for the people opposing over-tourism to be able to to make changes. Um, for the optimists, I can point to Milan and Seattle. Milan, hot spot. The people said, oh, we love these blue skies. And now the city has put aside in the middle, right in the center. They've said, these 
the center, the huge center of Milan will not have cars. We're going to have a pedestrian. Seattle, one of the first hotspots, but one that was singular for following the state as well as the city, for following science and doing very serious good um, lockdowns. Seattle has just put aside 20 miles of roadway and said no more cars here either. We like we like the blue skies. And in I'll go back to New Zealand, Australia. New Zealand has been grappling with over-tourism because it's another country that depends a lot on tourism. And there's now afoot a big debate about how much of the national parks to open up to tourists who turn out to not behave as politely and respectfully as the natives. So that undercurrent, there is a chance that there will be a plus. On the other hand, you have China using the pandemic to crack down on Hong Kong. Now, that doesn't sound like tourism news, but it is tourism news because Hong Kong is going to look far less interesting if it's shackled by the, you know, if, if this comes through, it's, it's no longer separate from China. So I'm not the blue sky kind of person. However, there's one other thing I should say. We're all looking at the pandemic as a black swan event. And you can make a very strong argument, sorry, this is not a black swan. This is, this dovetails with degradation of the environment. The tourism world for all of its upbeat come visit here, come visit there. They have been suffering locally from wildfires, flooding, hurricanes. Islands are literally sinking because of the warming oceans. So if, if the industry would be honest with itself, they'd say, aha, we've had a warning about this. And um, I don't know if you noticed it in the news, but just this week, uh, two important dams burst in Michigan after heavy rain. This was not a one-off. There's been heavy rain damaging dams around the world as the weather changes. So I see a more clear-cut debate about climate change and the environment because of this. I would not put any money on which side would win, but I think the debate will become clearer. So what is the immediate future for travel as an industry? It's not going to come back soon. So I can tell you that 72% of all borders are closed around the world and that 100% of countries have travel restrictions. Cross-border travel is a trickle. It doesn't, you can't even count it. If there's any travel in the next year of any consequence, it's going to be within borders. You know, fortunately, the United States is huge, and, and you can imagine other places, but then are you going to get on an airplane, or are you going to just take your car? And when you finally do get on the road, Elizabeth Becker has some words for you. Here you are, you're a traveler. I want to talk to you as a traveler and as a citizen. That as a traveler, just be very careful. This is not the time to throw whisk aside and say, I want an adventure. You, you owe it to yourself and to the people you love. To be very careful, to, be, to do your homework, not only for your own safety, but to be careful wherever you go. And as a, and as a citizen, if you want a return to travel where you can discover the world, you know, look at your government and you know, demand 
that safety protocols, that um, common sense, that uh, good economic policies that benefit everyone are put in place. Because if it's not, the travel industry is not going to come back. So it's time to, you have to be a step up as a citizen as well as a, a traveler. This is not the time to be irresponsible. And what about me? Should I try and find another way to get to Naples? So, Michael, get forget Naples. Think about Wales. Wales is beautiful, but there's a reason why it's not overrun with tourists. It can be very wet and cold in July. Hey-ho. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. My thanks to the author of Overbooked, Elizabeth Becker. By the way, Elizabeth's new book, You Don't Belong Here, the story of three pioneering women journalists who covered the Vietnam War, will be out early next year. And the usual reminder to visit the website www.goldfarbpod.com and make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.